Hello, I'm your host Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by CityLets. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch direct, just reach out. Let's Talk at citylets.co.uk. Joining me today is Polly McNeil, MSP for Glasgow. Thanks for taking the time to come in to discuss your proposal for fair rents in Scotland. Firstly, this bill honours Labour activist Mary Barber from the early part of the 20th century. So can you tell us just a bit more about her? So Mary Barber led the rent strikes in the early part of the 20th century, around about 1915. And there had been a period of industrial growth and rents had gone up astronomically. So she led this army of women to say, well, we need fair rents. And in fact, um, there's a, a statue of Mary Barber and her army in Govan, uh, which I've used many times as the backdrop for uh, my fair rents bill. So she's become very well known probably in the last sort of five to ten years previously. Many people didn't know about Mary Barber, but they certainly do now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what are the main aims of your bill then? The main aims of my bill is firstly to kickstart a debate about the importance of the private rented sector. It's grown in size and more people look to the private rented sector um, for their homes. Many families live in the private rented sector. And I think it's looking a wee bit different than it maybe did the last 10, 20 years. And therefore, making sure that people can afford their rents is more important, I would argue, than ever before. So less people have had choice now to be homeowners. If you look at the generation, it's really people in their 20s to their 40s now that uh, in previous generations would have had that choice of homeownership, mainly because of the bank crash have not that option any longer and they're unlikely to get on a social register so for many people the private rent sector is not a choice and therefore I think that's probably why private rent sectors come under a bit more scrutiny. So my bill is designed to look at uh, capping rents at inflation but it does two other important things and I discovered this by talking to housing experts. So the second thing it does is that when you go to a first year tribunal to appeal against your rent if you think it's too high. At the moment, the tribunal can apply a higher rent, which I think puts a lot of people off. I want to get rid of that notion. So you apply, you can be refused, but you can't have an increase in your rent. And then lastly, um, it'd be quite nice to have a bit more data because I would have to say that we don't have enough data across the yeah, country. Yeah, I was going to touch on that month section yep. later, actually. So that's what the bill yeah. does. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with this um, kind of rent cap, are there any planned exemptions within it? So, first of all, to emphasise that at the moment it's been a consultation mm-hmm. and we've had 99 responses, which is one short of 100. And the bill proposal itself will be constructed once we've had an analysis of all those responses. And the Scottish Parliament Bills Unit are doing that now. So the actual construction of the legislation is still about to happen. So that's why looking at the analysis of the responses is really important to see if we've got it right, we can make changes, should there be exemptions. And certainly that's one aspect of the process that we'll we'll look in some detail about where. Because I think in all legislation, you're always going to have a level of discretion, some exemptions. Mm -hmm. So that's what we'll look. 
we'll look at. Okay, because I did read somewhere actually that you had, um, were saying that any landlord bringing a new property to um, the sector would be able to set an initial rent level yep. for those particular properties. Wouldn't this encourage landlords then of new properties to send an initial high rent? Well, we thought that probably market forces would determine, would settle that down. And after taking lots of advice, that's what we settled on for the time being. If we're wrong about that, I suppose that's something we could go back and then include new properties. But we thought uh, on taking advice that probably the market would settle that first. But thereafter, then obviously the legislation would kick in. Well, currently there are some measures to help with excessive rent increases, namely the right to apply for rent pressure zones, RPZs. Mm -hmm. And within the new PRT, there's a clause restricting landlords increasing rents to once a year. Now, you feel rent pressure zones aren't fit for purpose. And in fact, there's not been any designated zones since legislation um, was introduced at the end of 2017. What do you think are the, the problems with these measures? So the rent pressure zones, I think, were well-intentioned. And I know that the government put a lot of work into this piece of legislation and worked very closely with landlords. But it hasn't been, hasn't been used. And one of the main reasons for that is the, the data collection is extremely difficult. So Edinburgh, for example, has said that it's almost impossible um, to put the right data together. It's because the council itself is responsible for the collection of that data and making the analysis and so on before they make the application. So it's not passing that test. I mean, arguably, you could go back and look at that and you could make it a bit simpler for local authorities. And then maybe you might see a difference in the number of people that apply to use it. Um, and even though it's a short time since it was introduced, perhaps things have moved on a bit as well. So last year in the Parliament, it talked about how borders, uh, in the borders, uh, there's been an average rent increase of 26%. And the reason for that, I was always test people on this to see, well, what would be, why would you think that would be the case? And essentially it boils down to having borders real, which has been extremely successful. And it shows you the importance of infrastructure in communities attracting housing. So I think rent pressure zones, I think we'll have to conclude it's not for, for purpose at the moment. Okay, well, I'll just, we'll just kind of jump to the bit then about um, data, because um, obviously you mentioned there was a lack of re reliable and insufficient uh, data to enable, obviously, the rent pressure zones process to be effective. But in your document, I read that you referred to CityLets teaming up with blockchain, blockchain specialists to create a database that records achieve rents, including mid-tenancy rises. You were concerned with it being agent data only, um, and that the database would not be comprehensive. However, Scottish Government, in their compiling of the official rental figures for the country, they're mandated by law to have a sample of between 10 and 20% of the market in each location. So if that's deemed representative, then we can feel that up to 50% coverage more than comfortably surpasses that. Well, we would like to see more than that. And so... Let me say from the outset, I've had representations, which I'm listening to from the Landlords Association, about maybe the way in the bill that I propose to do this maybe not be the most efficient. However, um, I do want the data to be absolutely solid or better than it is now. So it struck me, um, of course, I'm not a landlord myself, yeah. so I have to listen to landlords here. Uh, I thought it was a simple enough process 
if you have to register your property, why not just see what you're charging for that rent? And that means it's also on the public register. So there's an issue about transparency too. So I would say um, I'm listening to landlords on this. I'm not out to make it any more difficult for landlords, but I'd like to make sure that that data is comprehensive. So that might be one area that we might come back with, with subject to further discussion and possibly right. make a change. Yeah, because we feel consistently we've got so much data that it, it can be broken down to any level of granularity and, and still be statistically representative of the market. But kind of going back, actually, um, just with you saying about landlords recording the rents. So you've said that you would like land, landlords to update their achieved rents within landlord registration. So for that system to be effective, you require landlords to be honest about their rents um, that they charge. So how would you propose to kind of police this? Well, I think um, you're asking me how you police this. Well, first of all, I think you would expect landlords to be honest. You would. And mm -hmm. I suppose hadn't really occurred to me that they might not be honest mm -hmm. about it, if I'm being mm -hmm. honest myself. Mm -hmm. um, I think that may be something we need to look at because the... I mean, I remember when we introduced the concept of this um, and it was an uphill struggle, I have to say. Um, Joanne Lamont, Labour MSP, is one of the leading members on it. Um, so there's still a lot more work, I think, to be done about landlord registration. So if... Um, that's not the way forward, then I suppose we'd have to go back and look at that. Okay, okay. Um, okay moving on to another area where it's um, Richard Leonard stated, we think rent rises should be capped and controlled. So Nicola Sturgeon has a choice. Will she take the side of rogue landlords and a broken housing market or can she back Labour's plans and back our Mary Barber bill? So that's quite a statement. Um, surely Mr Leonard didn't mean that all landlords were rogue. Of course he didn't no. at all. I think you've got to account for a certain level in the political world of, world of uh, politicians, I suppose, trying to simplify something which is far more complex. Richard Leonard, when he stood for Labour leader, made housing one of his top priorities. Uh, and we'll be announcing the work of our Housing Commission very shortly, in two weeks' time, actually. Um, but there are rogue landlords, it has to be said. Um, it's not the majority, it's the tiny minority. There are issue about, issues about standards in the private rented sector. Uh, perhaps not for this bill, uh, but certainly for addressing in a far wider sense, which is why I said at the beginning that what I'd like to do with my bill is maybe fix one or two things that I think would benefit uh, tenants in particular. But kickstart a debate about the private rented sector. It's a really important sector now. It's only 15% of all overall housing, um, the housing sector, but it's so important for so many people. So it's really kickstart. And we hope the government will come to the table with us on this. We've had pretty sort of positive vibes behind the scenes that, not that they'll support my specific proposal, but they will talk to us and see whether or not they can improve upon the legislation um, of 2014, 2016. Okay, because um, this point, I mean, I believe the majority of landlords, as you said, you know, aren't rogue. They're yep. actually providing a service where, like yep. any other business, they, they do need to ensure it's financially viable. Yeah. And obviously over the past few years, landlords have been dealing with the repercussions of cuts to ta um, tax relief, removal of wear and tear, additional costs for various safety certificates. Therefore, landlords have 
possibly had no choice but to increase rents or leave the market, deepening the imbalance of supply and demand. How do you feel about kind of landlords leaving the market? We don't want landlords to leave the market. Um, and it has to be said that, you know, talking to landlords' experience, which varies across the country, um, has to be recognised that it, it's it's not an easy way um, to make a living. And many people, you know, have gone into it with two or three properties um, and they do something else as well. So in no way am uh, I interested in driving uh, landlords out the market. In fact, more should be done to support them. However, I think there have got to be some baselines here. As I said earlier, it's a very, very important part of the housing sector and things are, things are changing in terms of people's needs. So I think there has to be striking the right balance between all of that and the rights of tenants. And I don't think that the rights of tenants are properly balanced, particularly when we talk about their right to appeal is almost certainly clouded by the prospect of coming out with the higher rent. Um, but that's, I suppose, the detail of the legislation, so whether or not, um, when we come to it, there might be mechanisms to address the question of what happened if there was a crash. Um, you'd always want to build into any legislation um, some discretion of some kind. I couldn't say right now um, what that would be, but that's the next phase of the process. Yeah. But it may well be that um, some landlords do decide to get out for whatever reason. That's already happening. Um, some housing associations have been working closely with landlords and buying up properties. I think that's one way forward as well because housing associations have got a much bigger fund to delve into and maybe improve the you know the standard of those properties. So um don't want to change the market too much at all, but um but there has to be a change to tenants' rights. I don't believe that they are what they should be, which is why I'm taking forward the bill. Okay, your proposed bill states that rent in Scotland would only be able to increase in line with CPI plus 1%. So what happens when interest rates increase and landlords are restricted to this? So under my proposal, ministers will have the power to change the inflation index and therefore if interest rates rise suddenly and by a substantial amount, landlords will be protected by that provision. That's, that's encouraging to hear you've considered the other side of the equation so it's not just money coming in for the landlord but you've considered about the money going out for them yep. too um you know often markets can self-regulate aberdeen being a perfect example where rents used to soar before the oil industry downturn what are your thoughts on this theory well the issue of self-regulation is always put up against obviously the concept of regulating uh, what we're talking about here is capping rents uh, at the rate of inflation plus one. Um, I, I recognise Aberdeen um, is something to look to, but my overall feeling is that there's been two... The rent rises have risen too steeply in parts of Scotland while wages have not correspondingly increased. And you might have relied on rent pressure zones to sort that out, and it hasn't sorted it out. So I've come to the view that there's going to have to be a little bit of regulation in this sector. But bear in mind that overall, in terms of the whole housing sector, you would like to think that in time, when the government reaches or should reach its target on building more homes, that the social sector, we would like to think, would grow in size. If people get more choice, then hopefully the housing sector is going to look different anyway. 
But my own view of that, and it's the view of the Labour Party, is going to have to be a little bit of regulation. It can't be completely free market. I don't think tenants will be best served by that. And I think we can strike the balance of not pushing landlords out. Because lots of really good landlords um, and... You know, so, you know, one of the points that has been put to me is that some rents are kept low because they're good tenants and good landlords. So that is definitely something we're thinking through when we come to the final proposal, because we don't want to lose any of that. OK, well, I'm aware that you met with the Scottish Association of Landlords who raised, um, raised concerns about unintended consequences this proposal could potentially have on tenants. Can you tell our listeners what they were? As I'm, I'm aware that under the new PRT, landlords have used the power to increase rents once a year, where previously they may have only increased between tenancies. I think for landlords, it's well, tenants too, I suppose, it's one of the big issues I think the bill needs to address. Um, of course, it's just anecdotal. Um, it's been suggested to me that there are some landlords who keep their rents low because they've got good tenants. I have no idea how many that is, so I'd need to look at that. Um, so we need to consider that, I think, all in the round. There are always unintended consequences of legislation. That's what the process is designed to bring out. Ultimately, you're going to have to make a decision, maybe call on one side or the other. Because it also strikes me anecdotally, if you have a good tenant and you're a good landlord and you keep your rents low, um, then you're going to get another good tenant. You know, doesn't it follow that you're going to get a bad tenant? So, yeah, we're not going to be able to fix everything, keep everybody happy, but... I'm hoping in the process that I can protect some tenants' rights here, bring a little bit of regulation, get the government to address the failure of rent pressure zones, keep good landlords in the sector, keep that balance, and in the long run, the debate about the private rented sector as a whole, we all want to see a thriving sector with high-quality standards and good tenants is something that we can see uh, happening in the next five to ten years. Well, we know that Ireland introduced rent controls in 2017. However, it is widely known that its success rate has been low and figures from the Residential Tenancies Board, which track achieved rents, showed the cost of renting a property in Dublin jumped by more than 7% in the first quarter of 2018, despite the fact that rents are supposed to be limited to annual hikes of 2%. What do you think were the reasons... Um, you know, for the, the rent controls in Ireland, you know, not being successful and, and how can Scotland learn from it? Well, there are different economies for a start, so I don't think you can simply extrapolate the Irish example and say, well, that's what would happen in Scotland. Uh, Labour believes in some wider form of rent controls. That would be a matter for government, not a matter for us in opposition, because it's too big a proposal. Um, there's no doubt it's quite tricky to get a mechanism that would be the right mechanism. Uh, I would accept that. Um, and maybe in the long run, if the housing sector changes and there's more choice for people, perhaps there wouldn't be the same pressure um, to think about rent controls that we maybe have just now. But these are all the examples that you'd need to look at. So we've worked closely with Living Rent, who are very keen on rent controls. They have a specific proposal. I haven't looked at it in any detail. Um, but these are all the things that really you really have to examine in closer detail. Um, so some people believe there should be a relationship between rents and um, an income. I mean, the bottom line for Labour and all of this is that as a party who wants to tackle poverty, housing costs 
or the thing you need to tackle most, and that's not just in the private rented sector, that's in the social sector as well. If we don't get housing costs down, we cannot tackle poverty. And that's kind of Labour's story, if you like, on housing. So it's much bigger than the private rented sector. It's about growing the social sector, about giving young people a greater choice when it comes to home ownership. So we need to address questions of the cost of land. It's such a big, big issue. But being in a home that you can afford, a home of your choice, is a fundamental human right, arguably. So that's where we come from in all of this. We're not trying to over-regulate. We're just trying to look at the sector as a whole trying to get housing costs down for people and recognise that if you want to tackle people's living standards, we've got to get this right. And this bill that I'm taking forward is a very, very tiny part of that. If I can kickstart a debate with the government about the private rented sector and all its needs by the end of this parliament, I'd, I'd be happy. I'd be happy if I could get it through, but I'd be happy if we can focus on the many issues um, for the sector and make sure that this parliament has not forgotten how important the sector is. Okay, well, finally, will rent controls really cure the problem or will they just be addressing the symptoms of a serious housing shortage? Well, there is a serious housing shortage, that's for sure. The government had a target of 50,000 homes, homes 35,000 affordable ones. We would have liked to have seen a bigger target for that. So it is a complex picture. Well, rain controls, it might be part of that because at the moment, um, high rents are one of the reasons that people are living in poverty. I mean, we haven't really talked about the impact of universal credit on the sector. Um, and that is a direct policy decision of the UK government who don't seem to understand that the system of universal credit is giving so much heartache to landlords uh, and tenants and they need to fix this because people are losing their tenancies over this uh, universal credit and the uh, housing allowance, I'm sure, would be another podcast for that one. I know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, any mechanism that you would opt for mm -hmm. has, to, has to be part of a wider debate on housing. And what it boils down to is giving people choice. Do you want to... Some people will choose to rent in the private sector because it suits them, not because it's the only option. That's what we would want to see. They want people, people to have the choice of... Younger people should be able to rent in the social sector. If you're a young man, you have no chance of getting on a register for a social house. So you'll be probably in the private rented sector. Even young families. The other day, there's a woman after 19 years of living in overcrowded accommodation uh, got her keys to her new house and you think she's won the lottery. Mm. Your heart it feels like winning the lottery. So housing is such a vital part of everyday life. So anything that we would propose, whether it's rent controls, and I say that, that, you know, we've not looked, we're not in government. We have, if we have the, I suppose the, you know, if we have the mechanism of government, we can look in more detail of what would work for Scotland. So, you know, can't really give any indication of what that would look like um, because we're in opposition now. But what we're clear about is housing is vitally important, giving people that choice getting rents down, making housing affordable and not forgetting that it shouldn't be too unaffordable to heat your home. Thank you, Pauline, for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. 
If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk.